we should be engaging in doing anything we can, whether that's in our homes or our businesses. And let's not think of that as sort of tokenism. The impacts of that are, are real and are hugely significant. Ever had someone tell you a handful of companies create most of all greenhouse gas emissions, so what you do doesn't matter? Well, if you've heard that before and it makes you want to give up, today's guest has a really useful and thoughtful reply to that. I'm Andrea, this is the Age of Plastic podcast, an environmental podcast about you, me and everyone and what we can do about the climate emergency. We're using the gateway issue of plastic waste to discuss as many things connected to the environment as we can on this podcast. And today's guest is Tim Foreman. Tim is a Senior Research Associate and Senior Teaching Associate at the Cambridge University of Sustainability Leadership at the University of Cambridge. Now, he's authored a new report from the University of Cambridge and Epson the company making appliances that is probably best known for their printers. Now, this is on energy consumption from plug-in appliances. Um, and to meet the International Energy Agency's net zero scenario, we need to get energy usage to fall 60% of 2020 levels by 2050. Now, this report from Epson and the University of Cambridge explores the little things that can be done to reduce appliance energy consumption. Here's Tim Foreman on the Age of Plastic podcast. This new report that you've authored with Epsom and the University of Cambridge, it basically looks at the idea now, which I would like to say most people have accepted now, that human activity is increasing greenhouse gases and leading to temperature rises and extreme weather events. Now, that can all feel like quite an overwhelming problem, can't it, when we look at it from an individual level, Tim? Do you find this a lot in your um, background? Hi, Andrea. Thanks. Thanks for having me with you. Um, I think the short answer is yes, I do. It is um, by its very nature. It's a very overwhelming problem. I mean, uh, we, we call it emergency for, for a reason. It is a, a climate and biodiversity emergency. Um, so I suppose the, the important question is, what do we do about that feeling of being overwhelmed? Yeah, exactly. And that is what the report looks at. And we're focusing on appliances here. Now, appliances, brilliant for modern life. Wouldn't be talking to you without appliances right now. Um, but what sort of impl- appliances does this report look at and how much energy do they actually use? Um, the short answer is um, that, that we, we've looked at all appliances. We've looked at appliances wow. across homes and offices. Um, and it's clear that those account for a, a very significant proportion of our, our global energy use or energy demand, which are two interrelated but slightly separate things, and I'll touch on that in a minute. Um, but appliances as a broad sector, uh, including things like fridges and washing machines, televisions, dryers, dishwashers, etc., that accounts for about a quarter of all electricity used in buildings. Wow. Um, when we talk about energy demand or electricity demand, that's a slightly different thing. We're, we're essentially talking about capacity in the system. Um, and in that sense, appliances account for about 16% of, of global final electricity demand. So that's a, a huge number, however, whichever way you look at it. Um, and that number is unfortunately been, been rising, um, has been rising through the pandemic. Um, so it's very clear that um, appliances are, are not a sort of sideshow. They are quite an important part, actually, of uh, reducing emissions. Yeah, and is would it be true to say appliances are more or less energy efficient now than in the past? Or if you say use is rising, do we just have more of them? It is kind of all things at once. Um, I think probably uh, one of the the most troublesome uh, phenomenon is phenomena that we have um, made some really impressive gains in efficiency, um, but those are really being offset by uh, higher rates of ownership, 
um, and, and simply more appliances per person being used and, and more use of appliances per person. Um, that's, you know, that's something that we're seeing really across the built environment generally, uh, as buildings and homes become more energy efficient, people are, are, are building larger homes and buildings and, and, and using more floor area per person. So in much the same way, we're seeing this in appliances where gains that are being made in efficiency are essentially being offset by um, higher rates of purchasing and higher rates of use of appliances. Wow. Well, let's get into this report then, because it's focused on our impact and on three areas. So let's start with the first one, technological innovation. Certainly. Um, We've looked at uh, the importance of innovation and and the role that um, efficiency improvements have have had in reducing emissions. Um, It is very clear, as I I said previously, that we, we have been making gains in efficiency across the appliance sector broadly. Um, but that really there's a there's a much uh, a much stronger need for for uptake uh, of efficient appliances. Um, that that's quite clear. Mm. And what do you think? What's the barrier to that at the moment? Is it that those appliances are less widely available, more expensive? There isn't an, an impetus for um, you know less um, energy efficient appliances to be obsoleted. I don't think it's the case that um, energy efficient appliances are necessarily costing more. Um, you know, I think inflation aside, and we're all familiar with what inflation mm-hmm. costs. Um, but that aside, I think we are actually seeing in many cases uh, the costs of appliances or energy efficient appliances falling, not increasing. Um, of course, there are exceptions. Um, I think the barriers are, are probably the usual culprits. Um, changing human behavior is difficult, it's a messy business. Um, so it's really a combination, I think, of of push and pull. It's the individuals and their purchasing decisions, um, which you know are incredibly important, obviously, but also the manufacturers and and the governments that are encouraging manufacturers to to I suppose change their approaches or change the manufacturing methods. Yeah, lots of lots of issues sort of intertwined with so many things to do with uh, climate change and environmental issues. I mean, international cooperation is the second sort of part of this uh, report. So what, what does that mean, international cooperation? I mean, I think in the context of this report, we're, we're talking about the importance of regulations and, and setting standards. Um, the appliance industry or subsector as a whole, if, if we can call it that, um, it has very much been pushing for, for regulation and incremental improvements in, in testing methodologies. Um, and again, I think this is a case of, of push and pull between governments. If, if governments aren't requiring industry um, to make these changes, then it's difficult in many ways for, for companies and individual actors within industry to feel supported, I suppose, um, for there to be a sort of level playing field across industry. And then similarly, if, if they're not encouraging or incentivizing or perhaps requiring um, the end user, um, occupants of, of buildings to make changes or to change their, their buying habits, et cetera, um, you know, we're lacking a really important um, piece of the puzzle. So I think as always in sustainability, you know, the answer is essentially that everybody needs to do their part. Um, it's not the case that we can rely on policy or we can rely on individuals or businesses to, to save the planet, so to speak. Um, so it's really important that we see Innovation across the board. I, I mean, industry collaboration um, and, and, and collaboration between governments and, and international bodies. Yeah, and I suppose when we think about energy demand and energy supply, 
a lot of that has been more prevalent in most people's minds at the moment because of the war in Ukraine. And there's been lots more talk of governments and supply chain issues. Um, do you think that is something that is spurring on a look to more renewable energy sources for all these appliances? Certainly. And I mean, you know, I think we've seen this in cycles. We can go back to the energy crisis in the 1970s and the, the huge changes that brought about in any number of sectors in terms of energy efficiency. Um, so I think, you know, every time costs spike or prices spike, um, it, of course, brings brings the issue to the fore of people's consciousness. Um, but, you know, I also think that as, as the climate and biodiversity emergencies are sort of entering mainstream consciousness, um, it's becoming obviously, you know, it's becoming a really important issue in people's minds and they're start, starting to understand the issue, I think, in, in ways that maybe in years past um, people haven't really understood. Yeah. And I suppose the third and biggest aspect um, for everyone listening right now is behaviour change. So what is it that we can do in our homes today um, to help with this? Yeah, I think the simple answer is is buy less and do less um, and buy more efficient products when we do need to buy products. Um, you know, we know, for instance, turning down the heat in a home uh, by, by perhaps one degree centigrade can can um, deliver an energy savings from heating something in the order of, of 10%. So in much the same vein in this report from Epson, which is called Turn Down the Heat, they're looking at appliances and the demand for energy um, that's associated with efficient and, and inefficient appliances. Um, so it's, it's clear, you know, we're looking at this report, we found that um, by making a change from laser to inkjet printers, by essentially shifting from relatively energy inefficient technology to an energy efficient technology, um, reduction in emissions from printers is in the order of 52.6%. That's a, that's a huge number. Um, so I think it's really clear that you know, buying, buying less, using less, and buying more efficient products is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And I mean, how many homes have printers? How many offices have printers? So that's that could be a huge and so many companies as well. They're trying to, you know, look at their ESG models and look at their net zero pledges. So that could be a real big kind of change, not only in terms of CO2 emissions, but also in terms of being a cost efficient home or business, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think energy, um, perhaps in recent years, has been uh, more more an environmental issue than a cost issue for for many people and for for the large proportion of society that lives in in fuel or energy poverty. Of course, it's it's not mm -hmm. that at all. It's a real economic issue and a a matter of survivability. Um, but regardless, I think it really has shifted from that um, to something which is just at the forefront of everybody's mind in terms of economic cost. And, and that could only help, I suppose, um, decarbonization. Um, of course, different people are engaged with the decarbonization agenda by, by different drivers. And for some, um, being concerned about the planet or human health or, or ecological health, um, that may be the driver. But for many people who simply are reached by that issue, by that message, um, no doubt, I think rising prices will be encouraging people to reflect on on, on the mm. points of energy consumption in their homes and, and businesses. Yeah. And I think we're thinking in terms of like how we can have an impact. Um, and I love talking about that on the podcast, having some power rather than feeling powerless in the face of climate change. But it is a common criticism. Oh, well, X amount of companies cause X amount of CO2 emissions. So our own impact, what I do in my own home doesn't matter. What do you say with your knowledge to comments like that? 
I think it's a it's a really um, worrisome misconception. It, it essentially gives some of us a free pass um, to go about living our lives the way we've become accustomed to when we know without equivocation, I mean, the evidence is abundantly clear that if we carry on uh, with business as usual, uh, we're looking at a, a significantly changed climate within our lifetimes and, and of course, impacting our, our children and our, our children's children. Um, so the evidence is very clear that we need to make rapid changes. We need to decarbonize um, at, at a really unprecedented rate. I don't think humanity has ever seen a challenge in, in, in this order of magnitude. Um, and we have just, of course, just a, a very short amount of time to do that. Um, 10, 20 years to start making um, these, these reductions. So I think in, in that context, um, the challenge is, is it can be overwhelming, um, but the key message really is that we should, be, we should be engaging and doing anything we can, whether that's in our homes or our businesses. Um, and you know, it, let's not think of that as sort of tokenism. The impacts of that are, are real and are hugely significant. Um, that's something that's underscored in this report, but um, we can find that, that message, I think, anywhere we look in decarbonization efforts, that it's individual choices and behaviors as much as uh, organizational or, or governmental leadership that makes a difference. Yeah, that is comforting to hear. And I always think when I hear that argument for people, I'm thinking, well, you can't really ask companies, institutions, governments to change if our own behavior isn't also going to change with that. Um, so yeah, like you say, it doesn't, that sort of like gets, let some of us off the hook. A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website, iamandreafox.co.uk. Back to today's episode. So cutting emissions then, getting to net zero by 2050, in your experience, do you think it's possible? I'll give you a caveated answer, which is, yes, I think it's possible, but let's not deceive ourselves about the scale and, and, and scope of that challenge. Um, uh, you know, we often say that we actually have the technology we need, that, that decarbonization and, and the biodiversity emergency are essentially people problems, social problems, political problems. I think to a large extent that's true. Um, no doubt we, we could use and probably need more technology, more innovation. Um, but let's not take people out of the picture. I think you know the, the mobilization of that technology, the alignment of our efforts um, and, and using technology in ways that will enable us to, to uh, resolve our, our current environmental crises. You know, I think that's, that's certainly possible, but it is fundamentally uh, an organizational challenge. It's getting people um, in alignment. So causes for optimism, I suppose, are that we have many of the innovations we need um, compared to 10 or 20 years ago. I think people are, are infinitely more aware and concerned about the, the crises we're facing. Um, and governments, to varying degrees, are, are, are starting to make the right steps. Um, but again, let's not deceive ourselves. I think the challenge is, is, is simply unprecedented. Um, and it's very clear that if we don't all make radical changes the way that we're, we're living and working uh, essentially now, um, we will fail to resolve these crises within uh, the needed time. 
Yeah, and a slight side issue, but I noticed in the news here yesterday that Shell were called out by a former consultant who quit, accusing the oil giant on a LinkedIn post of extreme harms to the planet. Now, when we talk of energy revolution and loss of biodiversity and ramping down oil production, do you personally think it's happening quick enough? Do you think there's some greenwashing around those kind of issues? I, I don't think there's any question that it's not happening quick enough. I think that's very clear. The evidence is very clear. I mean, we are, um, you can look at any number of scenarios that, that I suppose sort of um, give the roadmap, so to speak, to uh, a net zero future. Um, and you can look at what's required to bring the balance of nature, um, uh, to, to restore the balance of nature. And I think it's really clear that in either, in either context, um, we are not doing nearly enough to, um, to, to ensure the, the sort of survivability of, of planet and the species that live on the planet. Um, that's not to say that, that, you know, massive actions aren't being made. They are, um, but the, the, the evidence is really clear. I mean, look, I, I don't think there's any equivocation around that issue. Um, we're simply not reducing carbon and we're not reducing our impacts on, on natural capital um, quickly enough. Yeah, and this report has the rather scary fact that it's estimated by 2050, one in every 45 people could be environmental refugees, which is quite a terrifying statistic, isn't it, Tim? It is, and um, you know, I think, frankly, those sorts of statistics are are, are fuzzy by nature. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball. We can't predict the future, but it's it's very um, obvious to, if you study it that that the climate and human existence and and ecological um, health are are intimately interlinked. And if we are impacting on one, we are impacting on another. Um, and so that we know that as environmental crises um, continue and perhaps worsen that the impacts on societies and on economies will increase. And as, of course, as resources become scarce, um, there's an increased propensity for, for, for refugees, for political conflict, for social conflict, et cetera. Um, so it's really important, I think, always when we talk about the environment to remember that it's, it's a part of sustainability. And sustainability um, is really about a balancing act between society, economy, and environment. Yeah. And when we think about that, and as this report goes into energy and appliances, if there was one thing you could change to help climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, what would it be if you could just snap your fingers? What would be top of your list? I think it's to change awareness. I think um, there are, you know, I think there are people in this world who are very concerned and do what they can. There are people who are very concerned and for whatever reason tend not to do what they can. And then, of course, there are people who just aren't very concerned at all. Um, I, I, I think, frankly, you know, all three of those people need to be um, doing whatever they can. So I think the, the, the message here from the report um, is that those choices that are being made at, at any of those in any of those contexts are, are sort of equally critical. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to just ask two questions finally that we always ask our guests that we have on the Age of Plastic podcast. We are called the Age of Plastic podcast. It's a gateway issue for lots of people. Plastic is seeping into the environment and causing lots of harm, but it is a good material. We're just using it in the wrong way in lots of single-use ways. So is there an item of plastic in your life that you're thankful for? I tend to say <laughs> my record collection. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um I think we all understand the, the sort of troublesome relationship I suppose humans have with plastic. It is a it is a wonder material, but it's also the source of 
of, of many of our ills. Uh, I think I'm going to give you the answer of my computer. Uh, I spend more or less every day on the computer, and it's my sort of gateway to the knowledge of the world and to, to connecting to people around the world. So uh, on balance, given all the trade-offs that are necessary in, uh, in, in today's living, I think my computer might be a, um, a relatively positive use of plastic. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to say the same thing. Without it, I'm looking at my computer right now, as I talk to you. So without it, we wouldn't be speaking. Uh, just one final question then. Thank you so much for talking to me about this report. Um, with all of your knowledge, all of your sustainable sustainability background, who do you look up to in the environmental space? Do you have an environmental hero? I'm going to give you a, a really a bit of a corny uh, corny answer, but I, I look up to my friends who, um, my friends and my family, I suppose, who. Um, who embody the principles that I wish I could embody more frequently. You know, we're all imperfect human beings. Yes. Um, I've studied sustainability for the most, most of my life, and I'm well aware of the habits um, and behaviors that I follow that are, that are perhaps more harmful um, than, than they need to be. And so I, I'm always really impressed by people in my immediate life who, um, I suppose, make the tough decisions and prioritize the right things over the easy things. Um, mm. Those are probably my environmental heroes. Yeah, it is tough, isn't it? It's nice to hear that even yourself. <laughs> like... no, <we're> not... <laughs> Believe me, none of us are perfect. <laughs> even those of us who study sustainability. Oh, well, that is comforting to hear. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to grass yourself up because, like you say, none of us are perfect and it's not a competition. Um, but yeah, Tim Volman, thank you so much for speaking to me for the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. There's more on the Epson Report on our Patreon. Big thanks to Tim Foreman for chatting to me today. And in case you didn't spot it, I was doing my very best talking to a smart person voice. I hope you enjoyed that. Slightly intimidated by the old University of Cambridge stuff there from Tim Foreman. On to today's Eco Life Hack. We've been talking about energy consumption and reducing energy consumption a lot on today's podcast, which is very pertinent given that we are seeing huge price increases in energy here in the UK. Now, you will probably be aware of lots of ways you can save energy in your house. Here's a few reminders. Dishwashers should be full before you use them. Use any appliances eco mode and try not to leave any appliances on standby. But, huge but, my electricity bills are due to go up 68%. In some areas of the country, bills for businesses, universities, hospitals, individuals, schools, everyone, are going to be going up 80%. There's only so much we can do. Germany has offered 65 billion euros to combat rising energy prices. France has capped energy prices at 4%. So let's see what the new UK Prime Minister comes up with, because if it's not enough, I will see you on the streets for the protest. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all the details to contact me, to follow us on the socials, and all about our Patreon in the show notes, wherever you are listening right now. Don't forget, wash your hands, wash your recycling and write to your MP about energy bills. I'll see you next time on the Age Plastic Podcast.